The uh, following section of the Comments in the Gospels experienced recording difficulties. However, the overwhelming majority of the talk can be understood. And as the talk goes along, it becomes clearer and clearer. So please bear with us. Thank you. chastity, which also is the subject of the tape that we heard the beginning of last week and will continue to hear this week. So I will read both this section and also some other sections from the Gospels on the same subject and by and large allow the tape to be the commentary. However, I will make a few points. We have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Hell here again, by the way, the word Gehenna, which we mentioned last week or the week before, uh, does not refer to an eternal hell, but rather to um, a burning place, equivalent of a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem, that at one time uh, human sacrifices had been burned and also called Tophet, by the way, some of you may be familiar with that word. And that, it, therefore, statements like this um, are figurative statements referring to burning pain, but not necessarily to any theological uh, eternal problem. It has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, that means divorce her, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Okay, now these, I would just like to read another section also from the Gospel of Matthew. This is from chapter 19, in which Jesus repeats most of these things goes further. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cling to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, that is two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. 
They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive the same, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Eunuch, of course, is a castrated man, a man from whom the sexual organs have been removed. Those are the two main, there are doublets of those sections in Mark and Luke. But basically, those are the two main statements in the Gospel specifically on this subject. And the only points that I would make, first of all, you do sometimes hear that um, this teaching on chastity is not is not really from Jesus, but it's from St. Paul or other later Christian writers. They get the text of the Down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had them not. 
So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at him. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And that is a very clear and powerful statement, uh, often quoted by Master Kapalsing, to make the point not that the woman was sinless, point is she was forgiven by Jesus and told to sin no more, which is what masters do. They don't pretend um, that we haven't sinned or that what we have done is right when it isn't. But they forgive us. This is their work. And then they tell us very sweetly to stop doing it. And uh, it puts it into perspective, I think. And it also makes it very clear that whatever our concerns are in this matter, that it is strictly for our own self that we should be concerned with. What other people do is between them and God. And the Master can take care of them. We do not worry about them. We have to worry about our own self. Now there are two aspects that are in the Master's teaching on chastity. Both were covered by Sanchi in the talk last week. To some extent. Mostly in the part that we did last week we concentrated on the first part which is the part connected with spiritual growth. And that is connected with the ojas, which Master Kapalsin would state, by the way, is present in both man and woman, and it is lost through orgasm, uh, including women also may lose it through orgasm. It is not confined to one only. This is often been a source of misunderstanding due to the fact that it is often represented in male terms. But it is, a, it is not a physiological substance. It is, it is formed by refraining from organ. And it becomes, it is what makes transcension from the body possible. And any, I think any serious spiritual practitioner, not only in this path, but um, in all of the schools of yoga that I'm aware of, Sufi schools and uh, the various mystic schools that have existed of all types, all are aware of this, although the teaching is presented sometimes in different words. That is why the monastic tradition, for example, has been overwhelmed celebrate because of this. It is understood that you can't get anywhere without being chased. This aspect of the, of the teaching is very clearly dealt with, perhaps most clearly, by Buddha in the um, Sutra, which I reprinted in the case for chastity a number of years ago. And he says, Ananda, why is concentration of mind necessary before one can keep the precepts? And why is it necessary to keep the precepts before one can rightly practice dhyana, that is, meditation, and attain samadhi? 
And why is the attainment of samadhi necessary before one may attain true intelligence and wisdom? Let me explain this to you. All sentient beings in all the six realms of existence are susceptible to temptations and allurements. As they yield to these temptations and allurements, they fall into and become fast bound to the recurring cycles of deaths and rebirths. Being prone to yield to these temptations and allurements, one must, in order to free himself from their bondage and their intoxication, concentrate his whole mind in a resolution to resist them to the uttermost. The most important of these allurements are the temptations to yield to sexual thoughts, desires, and indulgence with all their following waste and bondage and suffering. Unless one can free himself from this bondage and these contaminations and exterminate these sexual lusts, there will be no escape from the following suffering, nor hope of advancement to enlightenment and peacefulness. No matter how keen you may be mentally, no matter how much you may be able to practice meditation, no matter to how high a degree of apparent samadhi you may attain, Unless you have wholly annihilated all sexual lusts, you will ultimately fall into the lower realms of existence. In these lower Mara, Mara is the Buddhist equivalent of Kao, use the same figure, realms of existence, there are three ranks of evil ones, the Mara king, evil demons, and female fiends, and all of them have each his and her own double, who disguise themselves as angels of light, who have attained supreme enlightenment. After my Paranirvana, in the last Kalpa of this world, there will be plenty of all these kinds of evil spirits everywhere. Some of them will beset you openly with avarice and concupiscence, and others of them will pose as holy and learned masters. No one will escape their machinations to lure them into the swamps of defilement, and thus to lose the path to enlightenment. Therefore, Ananda and all of you should persistently teach the people of this world to attain perfect concentration of mind so that they may be able to practice meditation successfully and attain samadhi. This is the clear teaching of all the blessed Buddhas of the past and it is my instruction at the present and it will be the instruction of all Tathagatas of the future. Therefore, Ananda, a man who tries to practice meditation without first attaining control of his mind is like a man trying to bake bread out of a dough made of sand. Bake it as long as he will, it will only be sand made a little hot. It is the same with sentient beings and under. They cannot hope to attain Buddhahood by means of an indecent body. How can they hope to attain the wonderful experience of samadhi out of bodiness? If the source is indecent, the outcome will be indecent. There will ever be a return to the never-ending recurrence of deaths and rebirths. Sexual lust leads to multiplicity. Control of mind and samadhi leads to enlightenment and the unitive life of Buddhahood. Multiplicity leads to strife and suffering. Control of mind and dhyana leads to the blissful peace of samadhi and Buddhahood. Inhibition of sexual thoughts and annihilation of sexual lusts is the path to samadhi. And even the conception of inhibiting and annihilating must be discarded and forgotten. When the mind is under perfect control and all indecent thoughts excluded, then there may be a reasonable expectation for the enlightenment of the Buddhas. Any other teaching than this is but the teaching of the evil Maras. This is my first admonition as to keeping the precepts.
So this is not a new thing. And it is, it has been taught, as the Buddha said, this has been the teaching of all Buddhas of the past. It is my teaching in the present. And it will be taught by all of the Tathagatas, that is the way showers, the genuine masters of the future. So, and the main reason is, as he said, that without it, we cannot practice meditation. Now, there is another facet too, which is why the two things are interlocked and come together all the time. That is to do with social stability, okay, and also our own karmic ropes. Um, the masters often state that the rishis and munis were the ones who first, that is, ancient teachers of India, who may not even have been have gone beyond the second plane, who may have been actually um, agents of Kal, even first set up the marriage bonds, okay, the marriage limitations, and within the law of karma, Master Kripal has said that. Uh, you see, if we even have sexual intercourse with somebody once, that from the point of view of the law of karma, the same relationship is there with them as if we had married them. In other words, there is no way to get out of the hang-ups that occur if we are living in this way. Karmically speaking, we cannot do it. We are literally hung up in our own net. And if we do this a great deal with lots of different people, that the same we have the same debts are established, the same very powerful give and take is established as if we were married to them. And that is why uh, the masters lay so much stress on as long as we have any sexual desire, or sometimes even if we don't, but there are other reasons uh, why we might do it, then getting married, having a few children, working this out within the marriage limitation and not at least hanging ourselves up by being married many times. <coughs> now the teaching on divorce, Jesus has explained very clearly in the section that I just read. And Master Kripal used to quote these sections um, when people asked him questions on this matter. He would not always reply in his own words. He would quote this right out. Now, it's a heavy section. Okay, and we in the Kali Yuga are the victims, I would say, of, um, as Salan Singh said once in this context, of our weakness. It's not necessarily our fault that we are told oftentimes, well, everything will be okay, you know, no matter what we do, um, so that we often get ourselves into, into a deep mess that we can't easily get out of. And the masters do forgive. It remains true, and I have heard Master Kripal has confirmed this uh, more than once. It's also included in the book, The Light of Kripal, as well as in the Gospels, and many times quoting deliberately the section that I just read, that uh, if people are divorced and marry again, that they are committing adultery. Now, at the same time, we know that many, many, many satsangis have, in fact, gotten divorced and then married again, and that this has been blessed by the Master. And some people, I don't know what some people may think, but the fact is that this is because the Masters forgive, and they make special allowances, and they love their disciples, and they do, to a great extent, work hard to make it all right. And they will do this. Uh, they will especially do this to the, you might say, the innocent party of a bad marriage. If someone has left someone, not that 
in my experience, in any difficulties in any marital situation, it's not a question of one being to blame more than the other generally anyway. But if, if uh, someone has left and refuses to work to go back together, then the one who has been left behind often is allowed to marry again without penalty. That has been a thing that I have seen in maybe 15 or 20 situations over the years in connection with both masters. So that that does happen. But we should not equate, again, just as with the woman taken in adultery, to conclude from that story that adultery is a good thing that Jesus approves would be dead wrong. He does not approve of it but he forgives her. He also does not approve of the other people caring so much about it. Why aren't they worried more about their own sins? No master encourages anybody to worry about other people's sins. We we have not yet reached that place in the Sermon on the Mount, but we will shortly. So that this is uh, an important thing to remember. Because he forgives and allows it to happen, does not mean that the teaching is therefore invalidated. It is not. It is uh, very uh, much in force. And Sanchi has also laid great stress on this. Now, when I say that it's a small percentage of the whole, okay, not very large amount of the teachings of any master is taken up with the subject. Partly this is because I think um, people are very clever and they have lots of different, lots of ways of, of responding to this sort of thing. Um, Master Kripal used to say that the president of a temperance society who always said, don't drink, don't drink, uh, was found that he did a great deal of drinking in private. And Master explained, he was always saying, don't drink, don't drink. He said, yes, don't was there, but drink was also there. So if we, you know, think a great deal about being chaste, we can become pretty neurotic, I think. We can, uh, a lot of our attention can be on our bodies and it really will have the exact counterproductive effect. This is what the Buddha meant when he said eventually even the concept of inhibiting and annihilating is gone. It's just washed away because we have controlled ourselves sufficiently so that um, we have experienced enough of, of what else is there so that we are simply cut loose from it rather than um, bound up in it. About that, Ramakrishna says, and I would like to read again from the case for chastity, mad, that's the word. One must become mad with love in order to realize God. But that love is not possible if the mind dwells on woman and gold. Sex life with a woman, what happiness is there in that? The realization of God gives ten million times more happiness. Gauri used to say that when a man attains ecstatic love of God, all the pores of the skin, even the roots of the hair, become like so many sexual organs, and in every pore the aspirant enjoys the happiness of communion with the Atman. So you see that it's not, it is a very positive thing that is being talked about here. And this is what, when the Masters talk about God intoxication, they are talking about this. And this is what we are giving up if we stick to what we know, like the stubborn pig who refused to go to heaven on the grounds that there wasn't any garbage there, among other things. It is something like that. And the masters tell those story, tell that story for that purpose. Just one or two other points. Somewhere 
in the tape, probably either the section we'll hear today or the section that we'll hear next Sunday because it will take two more planes. Uh, Sansi tells the story of Ingus Rishi, Shringi Rishi, excuse me, Ingus Rishi was somebody else, he was Krishna's guru. Shringi Rishi, famous story that we have heard, Master Kapal also referred to, Sansi has told it a number of times. There are lots of stories like that, and they are, you know, almost impossible for us to um, really identify with because it's so extreme. But, uh, of course, they take place also in previous yugas, and Shringi Rishi was able to spend thousands of years in his practices. But one thing about those stories is that implicit in them, and ever since I first heard them, they are referred to in the Sarbachan also in, in, in many other places, uh, is this, that it is the deliberate isolation from women and the fear of, of contamination, you might say, that sets people like Shringi Rishi up to be brought down. Because what he was doing was not being done out of self-knowledge, and no master advocates that. There are lots of, of aspects to that story. There are lots of points to it, not just the main one that Sanchi is making, that it's, that it's very possible to fall. But there are lots of others, too. And one of the reasons why is because of this. The masters do not um, act in this way. And one of the virtues of the teaching of chastity, of the understanding of chastity, that I have found, and I do not claim to have found um, a whole lot of them by any means, but I have found this, that the more we learn to, and I'm speaking as a man, but it applies just as much the other way, the more any of us learn to view the opposite sex as individuals, as brothers and sisters in God, rather than as objects of our desire, then um, the problems that, for example, women have had over the centuries of being treated as objects of desire rather than as human beings will vanish. And many scholars have pointed this out, that if the Christian, the original Christian teachings in this regard, the teachings that I just read from the Bible, had been taken seriously, um, then the status of women over the years would have been vastly improved. Jesus had many women disciples, as we know from the, from the reading of the Bible. He moved freely in their company. He did not mind. He was not afraid. He did not think that he was going to lose by having their company. At the same time, he was not interested in them any other way except as human beings, as children of God. And this has been true of all masters. We know that... Uh, in modern times, the masters have moved very freely amongst us, and we see clearly they are not afraid to live in the company of women, but to be um, to be around women, to women as their disciples. This is not a big thing. They are happy because they see them as human beings, and they relate to them through their souls. And uh, this is something that some of the ancient sages and some other people who are not so advanced as the true masters did not really grasp. They were in the, moving in the right direction in that they understood the importance of chastity, but they went about it, you might say, a backward way. In that sense, with all our struggles and problems that we may have, we are better off than them. Now, one final thing for, for the tape. Um, the masters make many statements 
And last week, in uh, on the tape, Sanchi said very specifically, and Master Kapal has also said this, that once a child is conceived, that no intercourse should take place between the husband and wife until the child is weaned. Okay, that is what is meant by the two or three years to give, until the child is weaned. This seems to us like a really heavy and maybe extreme statement. Okay, at least it used to seem to me this way. Now, it is a fact that um, in the animal kingdom, aside from human beings, this is the, this is the standard that is followed. That um, once the, the female conceives, she is no longer able to become fertile until the um, weaning is, is finished, until her children are finished uh, nursing. There are very sound reasons for this, and uh, when Sanchi says that, that if this happens, that the child will become bad, he doesn't mean necessarily that the child, that the given child, for example, who comes second, is going to turn out to be a bad person. What he means is that somebody is going to be the loser somewhere along the line, that there are going to be difficulties, and that the parents may well have to face the consequences of those difficulties. That, for example, if the child, if the if the child is conceived and born before the first child is weaned. The mother cannot do both. She cannot keep one child in the womb and nurse another, which means that the first child is then weaned before it ought to be, and uh, this is going to cause problems, and so forth. There is another, as far as having intercourse while the mother is pregnant, must to state this, and yet we know that most people don't worry much about it. This is a news, news account that I ran across last summer. It's in the Union Leader sometime during the summer, a UPI dispatch. That is, it did not originate in Manchester, but it came out of Providence, Rhode Island, actually. He says, sexual intercourse during pregnancy may be more dangerous to the unborn child than the combined effects of alcohol use and cigarette smoking, a Pennsylvania State University pathologist says. Dr. Richard Nye, chairman of the Department of Pathology at PSU, said discoveries during the last six months have confirmed his earlier finding that sex during pregnancy increases the chance of infection from bacteria in semen. Sexual intercourse during pregnancy dramatically increases the risk of miscarriage and produces developmental problems in a fetus, he said Thursday at a seminar at Women and Infants Hospital. The infant death rates are much, much higher in women who continue to have intercourse during pregnancy, Nye said. It looks to us like the complications of intercourse start very early. Chorionitis, something like that. The bacteria in semen produces premature delivery and may reduce the amount of oxygen going to an unborn child, he said. Moreover, he said, there is no question that intercourse during pregnancy may lead to problems in a surviving infant's nervous system. The infection attacks the placenta, the life support system for the fetus that transfers food, oxygen, and protective chemicals from the mother's blood to the babies. It is caused by normally harmless bacteria, which is why pregnant women with the infection seldom show any symptoms. Nae said parents who abstain from sex during pregnancy have a dramatically lower infant death rate than those who continue to have sex intermittently. Frequent intercourse increases the risk, but not substantially, he said. 
in some, in other words, to have it even once in a while is, is almost as bad as to have it a lot. In some groups, he said, the infant death rate can be 20 times higher for mothers who continue to have sex. Women who have multiple sexual partners have more infections than those who don't, he said. And I submit that that is a rather strong confirmation of the point that the masters make who could not possibly have had um, the knowledge of this in these terms, or at least we may think they cannot possibly have it. Who knows what they know? In any case, that is something that goes deadly against the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times, uh, and yet nevertheless the spirit of the times is wrong. So I think it's important, no matter how extreme the statements the masters make on this subject, they are speaking from knowledge, and uh, we should consider it seriously and, and be very cautious as to when we think that they are not really saying what they mean.